What's up, everybody? This is your boy Ken, aka Mr. Gentleman of Mr. Gentleman Lifestyle Podcast. And you are now listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Like and subscribe. Inspired by hip hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kisick is beautifulfeetentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry and it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com, and the links are also available in our social media and podcast. So please consider The Sanctuary of My Solitude if you're looking for a next great read. Thank you so much. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. This week, um, we're jumping into a new month. We're jumping into March. And Jessica, what is March? I'm so excited. March is Women's History Month. Yes, it is. So what we're going to be doing over this month, we're going to be talking about important people in history. Or important women, pardon me, in history. Um, We're looking into biblical women, women from the Bible. We're also going to be looking into the lives of uh, women outside of the Bible who live in our communities now. um, You know, that, that we want to kind of put a spotlight on. So... Honestly, this episode, you're going to be leading a lot of it because <laughs> it's your episode. So, and I'm excited for this simply because I think women are, especially in the Bible, like they, like what, what, what did we see? There was only a hundred women mentioned in the Bible, something like that. So I was Googling women in the Bible and I found an article from DailyMail.com. It was published February of 2015 a couple years ago there was a study that found that there are 93 women in the bible but that they speak just 1.1 percent of the time which i actually left the comment or saying that 1.1 percent is important it's something we need to understand we need to look into so that's kind of our point for today so, so. The, um, the research for this article was carried out by Reverend Lindsay Hardin Freeman and three other volunteers. And they found that in total, there were 14,056 words spoken by women. For example, Mary, the mother of Jesus, just speaks just 191 words in total. And I'll, the- Sorry, I want to think about that simply because it's like we think of... Mary's what her prayer her praise when she finds out she's pregnant as this big moment but she only speaks 191 words so to put that in perspective this article says that the bible is estimated to contain approximately 1.1 million words yes and women only make up 1.1 percent of that 1.1 million words 
Now, I wonder if that's only taking consideration... It sounds like that's taking into consideration every word in the Bible, not everything that's spoken in the Bible. Does that so, make sense? Um, like dialogue? Reverend Lindsay Hardin Freeman led a three-year search of the Bible's New Revised Standard Version. Her goal was to count every single word that was spoken by females. And we see that of the 93 women who are in the Bible, only 49 of them are actually named. So now our, our percentage is even smaller of women that we know from the Bible. So you may have women who are speaking that their character, for lack of a better way to put it, does not have, hey, here's a name attached to this person. Yeah. They're in the Bible, they're part of the story, but they're not a crucial part of the story is at least what it seems like so let's see here um one of the books that they looked at was they looked at the book of judith which is a book that is not normally included in what we would think of as like the protestant version of the bible so again, this is this is the Catholic Bible. Would that be correct? Yes. And do you want to talk about the section of the Catholic Bible that we don't see in everyday Bibles? I know we've talked about it before, but for those uh, listeners who, who don't know or who are new to the podcast, let, let's refresh their memory. So it says that in the book of Judith, Judith has the most words spoken with a grand total of 2,689. Mm -hmm. However, it says Eve, perhaps the Bible's best-known woman, only speaks 74 words. So, talking about the book of Judith... Um, okay, so... <laughs> when the Bible was being put together, they had a lot of different councils to indicate which books they felt like were divinely inspired or were going to make up the canon of what it would be to have the Bible. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that there was a very strict um, criteria that had to be met for every book that makes it into the Bible. So, for Protestants like our Bible does not include the Apocrypha, which is this set of books that was originally in the Catholic Bible, but did not quite make the cut for mm -hmm. like, hey, now we're at the Reformation. Do, do we know stuff. why it didn't make the cut? Um, well, let's see. Do you mean the Apocrypha or the Book of Judith? Let's just stick with the book of Judith, since that's what we're focused on right now. So, it looks like... Let's see. I'm just looking at the different texts here. Okay. Um, it says, the oldest text of Judith is described on a 3rd century piece of pottery. Okay. For... Okay, so it says the rabbis did not count Judith among their scriptures. 
and then the Reformation also adopted this position. But the early church, however, held this book in high honor. The first century Pope St. Clement of Rome proposes Judith as an example of courageous love. So it looks like, again, going back to the Protestant Reformation, they um, they decided not to include it, but... It must, and, and, and we could probably do a little bit more research on this, but I'm guessing it just, one of the criteria it didn't meet. Um, we don't know what it is. It doesn't say in this particular article, but let's keep talking about Judith, right? Let's keep digging into that. So her story, let's see. From what we have here, we see that the main theme of the story of Judith is God delivering the Jewish people. Um, this is most likely kind of an echo to what we think of as the book of Exodus when mm -hmm. they're leaving Egypt. Yeah. But, um, it looks like the book of Judith has a lot of different historical references within it. Well, and that, that kind of blows me away that she was able to put this into words and then later on the the council didn't see this as something that needed to be in the Bible because I would imagine anything that connects God's word to historical moments where we could look back in a history book and, and, and verify it, that would be very important, I would imagine. Because we're going to look at the reign of Nebuchadnezzar we're going to see references to Nineveh, which was the Assyrian capital that was destroyed in 612 BC. Mm -hmm. um, there's references to the Second Temple, which was built around 515. So, so there's just a lot of history. Yeah, so she's book. connecting a lot of theolo theology, so to speak, with the history behind it. Um, man, I'm surprised this didn't make it in. Um, but does it? Are we able to talk about her as a as a person? Her as a person. Okay. Let's see. So it looks like she um she has different parallels to women that we are familiar with in the Bible. It says that she kills an enemy general. She also is a judge during a time of military crisis. She is um, a beautiful woman. And this results in Israel being blessed because of that. Mm -hmm. So the book itself has five distinct parts. There's looking at this Assyrian threat. There's the siege of Bethulia. Judith as an instrument of the Lord. Judith going out to war, and then a period of victory and thanksgiving. So you're basically seeing, like, from the threat to the siege to God's movement and then victory. So you're seeing the whole story within this chapter, within this book. Um, and, you know, and we, we first of all, want to give credit to, you know, to Judith, to for putting this together, even though it didn't quite make it in uh, to most Bibles, it's great to see uh, that representation. And we actually went to 
the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Mm -hmm. which includes introductory material and looks like all 16 chapters. You just have to click through. There's little arrows at the top if you would like to read the book of Judith for yourself. Yeah, and, and, and the great thing is it's like we're going to put all these links in the show notes so that we can, so that you can go ahead and, and like I said, look into it yourself. Because again, we always want to encourage you to read everything for yourself. Do your own research, come to your own conclusions. But we're not just focused on Judith this episode, right? Correct. Um, as we were sitting and thinking, okay, which woman do we want to highlight we felt that mary the mother of jesus had been previously highlighted within our christmas episode so if you're looking to learn more about her we just urge you to go into our archives and listen to those podcasts yeah that would have been published um i don't know the exact date but early december is i think when we would have done it and again there were so many different women from the bible to highlight but for this week we chose to spotlight Deborah. Okay, so when we first started talking about women of the Bible, uh, Jessica and I had a meeting and we were like, hey, who do we want to focus on? Let's kind of do, like you said, a quick uh, Google search of like, see who's in who, who the women are who are named in the Bible. The first name that came to mind was Deborah. Now, Deborah is one of those women in the Bible. I mean, she, she was... She was top-notch. She was not the stay-at-home, you know, make food and prepare for the family type of thing. Let's talk about who Deborah really was. Okay, and for this, this actually brings us to an incredible website that we found called womeninthebible.net. So if you ever need any information on women in the Bible, womeninthebible.net. So... They have the biblical text that Deborah comes from. They have highlights about the world that she lived in, different Bible study ideas centering around her story, um, a YouTube about battles in the Bible, and then also this is tabbed under Bible murders. So that's where we are now? Yes. Okay. Let's dig. Okay. So the story of Deborah, kind of like the story of Judith, it's broken down into four main parts. And you're going to find these parts uh, predominantly in the book of Judges. Right around uh, Judges chapter 4 is where you're going to be looking. So the first part, we see that Deborah, a judge of Israel, summons Barak. That's found in the book of Judges chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 and chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. The second part of the story of Deborah is this battle that occurs, and then Caesarea flees the scene in Judges chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. The third part, hopefully I am saying this name right, is it Jael? J-A-E-L? Jael, yeah. They, she rather, met Caesarea and kills him, hence the Bible murder portion of the podcast. Uh, Judges chapter 4, verses 16 through 24, and chapter 5, verses 24 through 27. Now, Deborah's story ends with the mother of Caesarea 
that is recorded in Judges chapter 5, verses 28 through 30. So the story appears twice in the Bible. Judges chapter 4, we see this in a story version, and Judges chapter 5 is a victory poem known as the Song of Deborah. Mm-hmm. So let, let's look into each, almost each piece of that, right? So we, the first part, um, Deborah was actually a judge of Israel, right? Do we want to explain kind of what that, what that entailed? So during this time, it's important to note that within the historical context, the word judge had a different meaning for this people group than it does for us today. Mm-hmm. So she had two kind of job roles. When Israel was in a peaceful time, it was her job to settle disputes and problems. However, when war was occurring, it was her job to gather the tribes and organize resistance. So she was almost like a general in war, right? Yes. She would get everyone together and she would lead the war um, at that time. So we see that she's introduced as a prophetess, but she's not someone who's going to be telling you about the future. In this context, she will be hearing actively from God and then passing that information along to the people. And there are plenty of examples of judges in the Bible who hear from God and speak his word to people. They're either judges or prophets. Um, I think this is the only one who's a female. Yes. So, first of all, big credit up to her. That's that's pretty that's pretty great. And there was a quote in here, right, where it talked about that. Um. Okay, let me see. It just says Deborah is the only woman judge mentioned in the Book of Judges. Mm-hmm. And the people of her time had no difficulty in accepting her as a judge. Yeah, so it's great to see that at a time when, I guess you could say patriarchy is, is in such high um, regards, you know what I mean? Um, to see that this woman could be in leadership and nobody cared. You know, she, she was able to lead these people into, a, you know, what she led them into. Well, and we know that her leadership came from the fact that she was going to be consistent in the fact that she was available to the people. Um, that's why they talk about her. Let's see. It says, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. Now, for us, we would think of that as just, hey, she's underneath a particular tree. But for them... This location sort of served as her courthouse. Mm -hmm. It was a place where people could know that they could go there and she would be there to offer them um, ways to settle disputes. So I feel like because in times of peace she was there in that capacity, she did have the trust of the people when war was active. Absolutely. Now let's let's continue with her the next section. So Deborah sees that in the country that is around them, 
it's no longer safe for the people to be traveling along the highways. And because of this, she, um, she summons Barack. And we're so, not talking about former President no. Barack. We're talking about a different guy. Continue. So they, they, um, so it's like, oh, sorry. I don't know how to say it. Like whenever you have a war, there's like two sides that are battling, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the Israelites on one side and the Canaanites on the other. Now the Canaanites were led by King Jabin of Hazor. And he wanted to basically... He wanted to take over their land. Yes. So he's trying to take over the land. Uh, Deb was able to see this, but what did she do? Well, King Jabin had a very, very large army at his disposal. And so the Israelites turned to Deborah for guidance. And so she summons Barak because he was a military leader. And she told him that he had to go to Mount Tabor to assemble as many fighting men as they could find because they wanted to draw King Jabin out from when where he had been fighting. Mm -hmm. So she has a plan to guide the opposing army into an area that because they are relying heavily on chariots that are going to be their mode of transportation, like a way that they're going to transport their army back and forth. Her plan is to have the army go into a marshy area so that the chariots get stuck there. And then at the same time, from a higher vantage point, to have the Israelites have their archers and people who are good with slingshots be there to just kind of pick off pick off the pieces the people who are now stuck in their chariots in the yes mud. so not only was she again someone who spoke directly to god um but she was a military leader in this regard mm -hmm. um now where else are we going to see this outside of the bible Oh, okay. I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm no. like hinting her toward the next subject and she's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Okay. So, again, a part of this website, womeninthebible.net, it says, and I quote, Modern films often tell a story like Deborah's. The character Sarah Connor in the movie Terminator defends her people by becoming a leader slash savior when no one else will. Yeah, so... Um, if you've ever seen the Terminator movies, I don't think we're really, um, spoil, spoiling anything. So the idea is she sees the threat, she understands what's happening and she takes charge, um, to help, to help lead and save the situation. Deb was doing the same thing. Um, well, I think it's important to note here that the people that they're up against have a dedicated militia mm -hmm. and the israelites are like hey these are just some citizens that are kind of here on a voluntary basis like they're not going to be nearly as organized well and um 
do we know if the, the their attackers were a greater army than what they had? Well, let's take a look. It says, Barak knew that his own forces were fewer in number, comparatively untrained, and had inferior weapons. So he knew that about his army? Yes. So, yeah, they're basically saying, hey, they have a bigger army, they have the better weapons, we can't really face them, and Deborah's like, hey, yes we can, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trap them in the marsh, we're going to get them stuck, we're going to be on mountaintops, basically, or, or um, uh, yeah, in a higher area, and we're going to attack them. So we're going to take them out that way to even that playing field. So it's important to note that when we say chariots, it's not just like, hey, here's one or two or 12. The source material indicates that they had 900 iron-rimmed chariots. Yeah, that, that's, so. a, that's a lot of chariots. Uh, I don't know how that looks as far as, um, is that a lot of chariots for the time? Um, but it seems like it would definitely be an outnumber for Deborah and her army. But again, she was able to outsmart them. Well, and another thing to note, we see God's divine intervention during this time because as the chariots are coming through this area, there begins what you can think of as just a gigantic rainstorm. Yeah. So again, that's going to help them, Deborah's army, to continue. So the chariots were like they had initially thought, okay, the ground is firm here. We can see our enemy. We're just going to go for them. But then with the rain, there is this flash flood that happens. So now the battleground, which was initially dry and firm, turns into this very muddied area. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, we see this victory happening. Um, not only by the intelligence of Deborah, um, but by, you know, this rain that came and, and softened up all this mud. So uh, what, else, what else about Deborah do we, do we know about? So here's kind of like the ironic part that this this uh this battle like okay the Canaanites obviously they did not worship the god of the Israelites they had their own set of gods and Baal who was one of their main gods during this time was the god of storms and weather so just the fact that like they so, were taken out by a storm. Yeah, so it almost looks like from their advantage, right? From their point of view, the Canaanites look at this and go, okay, we, we serve one of the gods we serve is Baal, who controls the weather, who controls storms. Um, and that's their, that's their ultimate downfall in this particular battle. So it looks like their god betrayed them. Uh, but because their god does not exist, obviously that does not... That's not exactly, that's not what happened. Um, but it is very ironic. So now, because Deborah has orchestrated this part of the battle, we see that Cesera, who is the main leader of the army, he is trying to get away from the battlefield on foot. 
and he goes into the encampment of Jael, J-A-E-L. Jael. No, there's no, there's not an additional L. It's J-A-E-L. That's what I said, Jael. No, you keep trying to make it like a Superman name, but it's not. Jael. Anyway, we're having a (laughs) lot of trouble. So this woman, she, um, she actually provides shelter to Cesara. She gives him a meal. She And is Cesara good or bad guy? He's the bad guy. Okay. I wanted to make sure that was clear. Go ahead. So, um... Jail. She has ties to the Israelites through being a descendant of Jethro. So that's the father of the wife of Moses, just as a heads mm-hmm. up there. Okay, so it would be kind of odd initially for her to offer the enemy, like, hey, I'm going to give you shelter, I'm going to give you a meal. But wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. After he falls into a deep sleep, she takes a tent peg and... Sorry, so a tent peg... If you, just in case you don't know, it's basically the spikes that they use to hold down the tent to the ground. And what is she doing with this tent peg? She is going to kill him with it. I'm like, why are you slow? <laughs> because, like, I don't know how to say it. It's a, she stabs him with it it's right a in the face. Graphic murder. Was it in the face? How did she do it? Did it say? Uh, she crushed yeah. his head. Yeah. So she kills the guy. Um, a very brutal death. So she has the tent peg in her hand. And she, yeah, she literally just. I thought she like drove it through his head. I thought, okay, so I've seen like illustrations where it's kind of like his face is on the ground. She's got his ear. She puts the tent peg through it. She uses a hammer to smash the tent peg into the ground. So, Welcome to Beautiful Feet, the true crime <laughs> podcast. Um, He's is, he is not surviving this encounter. Yeah. So this is another like... So I don't know if we're going to need like a content warning before <laughs> this. Right. Um, Just to be aware there will be graphic. Well, we already told the graphic part. We should have said that before the graphic That's part. That's why I was like hesitating. So like, you really uh, want me to describe it? Yes, this? I want you to describe it. But so anyway. basically, yeah. So she basically kills this man because of his wicked deeds, because of him uh, trying to kill an entire group of people. Um, she ends up killing him. Is that justified? I don't know, but it seemed like it needed to happen. He was He was on a rampage so that's that's pretty much the end of the story (laughs) we we just see like his the mother of the man who has been murdered wondering why he has not come home yet (laughs) good luck finding that guy so yeah so basically let's sum up oh there we go what is the message of deborah's story um and there's two main points to this First of all, trusting in God, right? Because that's what she did. She put her trust in who God was and the plan that God had for them. And the second one, um, 
right can defeat might. So doing what is right or what is correct is going to outlast and defeat um, doing, you know, defeat being strong or more powerful. Oh, here's like um, a fun little note too. It's all about the meanings, meanings of the names, the names in the story. Well, let's just go over like what does Deborah mean? Deborah means bee in Hebrew. It also means a spirited or fiery woman. Well, I guess she was um, named correctly. And Barak means lightning. Sweet. Um, what's Cesara mean? Uh, it doesn't actually give the definition for that. Hmm. Yeah, it just it just says that what type of a what type of a name it was. Uh, but yeah. So, is there anything more about Deborah's life that we should talk about? Let's see. I'm gonna minimize our internet here so I can see the time stamp. All right, we are well into the half an hour mark now. So, I hope that you have enjoyed this rather interesting pick like you were definitely like let's talk about deborah and i well, was like i mean okay. listen to the story it's so fascinating and if you want to talk about woman empowerment like she was there she was a you know she was a prophetess she was a judge she was an army leader she did it all mm -hmm. she broke the mold of like what you think of as as like women in the bible so, so yeah, um, I, I stand by this pick. I think it's a great pick. Anything else before we go to a uh, quick break? No, we will be right, back with good. John chapter 9. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. All right, we'll be right back. Hang on we'll, for the next segment. This episode of the Beautiful Feet podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary of My Solitude, a published book of poetry by me, Anthony Giesick. You can pick up your copy at beautifulfeetentertainment.com, at iUniverse.com, and Amazon.com. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. This is the portion of the podcast where we go ahead and jump into scripture. We've been going over the book of John. Um, last week we went over John chapter 8. Would you mind giving us a brief recap of that? So the beginning of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, is not included in all texts. So sometimes there are translations of the Bible that just sort of gloss over this passage and just start us off with what we would think of as John chapter 8, verse 12. So the first story that's related in John chapter 8 is, as you'll remember from last week, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So the religious leaders bring her to Jesus and the penalty for being caught in adultery during this time period was that legally speaking, she could be stoned to death. Now they did this to Jesus to try and trap him in getting him to break the law. So he says, hey, if there's anyone who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. So in this way, he's still upholding the law, but he's also extending this hand of compassion to this woman 
and we see the religious leaders leave all of the stones. So then it goes into Jesus' testimony. The Pharisees, again, um, they have this dispute over who he is. And he says, okay, you're judging me with a human judgment, but I'm not here to pass judgment on you. I'm here because my Father in Heaven has sent me. So they get into disputes just about the, um, the phrasing and the language that Jesus is using to talk about himself as the Son of Man. And um, he also is talking about how the Jewish people viewed Abraham as the father of their faith. And he is saying that God is the father and that the father has sent him. So it really aggravates the community. And the Jewish people are very angry with Jesus. They literally get to a point where the stones that had previously been used or were going to be used against this woman in adultery, like they were going to gather these stones and kill Jesus, but he is able to escape. He slips away from the temple grounds. And um, it's just this, this time period in Jesus's life and ministry is one where his words and his actions, as we're gonna see in chapter nine, have really upset not only the religious leaders, but also the community that he is a part of currently. Yeah, and so, and that's really kind of, you're going to see that throughout this book. You're going to see Jesus opposing the religious leaders, not for anything. It's basically for what he's saying, even though what he's saying is accurate. What he's saying still lines up with what they believe it's just he they they look at him like a rebel and they they just can't they can't have that on their team so to speak um so looking into chapter nine uh chapter nine is actually a very unique chapter because not only do once again do we see jesus healing a man with with an ailment but we really get this connection between what is physically done and the spiritual implication of it all and how that ties together. So let's let's look into chapter 9. So I always like to be able to put the Bible within its historical context first and then we like to see how it can relate to us as a modern day audience. Mm-hmm. So for us as a modern day audience, the way that the man who is born blind is being treated and thought about by his community is very different from the mindset that was prevalent in the ancient world. And I feel like we need to kind of have that as a disclaimer before we continue. Definitely, because again, we're going to look at this chapter from... Um, our point of view in 2021 and say, oh, he's being mistreated and, and, and not, not treated fairly. But the, the fact was, in their culture at the time, what they're doing was legal. So Jesus 
is going along and he comes across a man who has been blind from birth. So it's not like he was able to see and then an ailment happened that took away his sight. He was born without the ability to see. Mm-hmm. And, and so in this time period, especially with the religious leaders, they were under the understanding that things like blindness or uh, lameness, not being able to walk, or any kind of um, handicap or uh, anything like that, it was because of two things. Either the parents were living in a sin and that was never uh, brought to the surface, therefore their children were born in this disability, or the person who's disabled sinned at some point in their life and this is punishment for it. So that is the question that his disciples ask him is who sinned, this man or this parents that he was born blind. And honestly, I love Jesus's response here because he's basically going to say, look, it really has nothing to do with sin. This particular uh, person's disability has nothing to do with sin. It's to give God glory. And that's this reminder of those people who have disabilities. You're given that disability with a purpose and a plan behind it. Well, and during this time... Jesus is also saying that I am the light of the world. So the I am statements of Jesus are going to be something that we're going to continue to look at in the book of John. And again, I don't feel like the man asks Jesus to heal him. Jesus goes of his own volition to provide healing to this man. Well, he... Let's see. I, I want to double check. Uh, yeah, it looks like he does just go ahead and heal him himself. Um, and the way he heals him is very... I've always questioned it. Because you would... Like, I would think, okay... If Jesus is going to heal a blind man, he's probably going to put his hands over his eyes. He's going to pray for him and the man will be healed. But Jesus does something totally different. He spits in dirt, stirs it around with his fingers, and makes mud. Smears the mud over the man's eyes. Like, to me, that that would be the grossest thing to heal a man. And I've always wondered why he did that that way. But the, the chapter really doesn't give us a lot of context clues as to why that would be. Well, and we see that he goes, he washes this mixture off of his face, and he is able to see. So he goes home. And then his neighbors and people that had seen him, because he used to beg, they're like, hey, isn't this the same man who used to sit here and beg? Because, again, during that time... With the fact that he was born blind, it would have been like a burden for his parents to take care of him. He wouldn't have really have had access to resources to provide him with a way to take care of himself. So he had to rely on that charity from other people. Well, and that's the thing is he wouldn't be able to work because he can't see. And so, like you said, he wouldn't be able to provide for himself 
His parents will probably help provide for him. I don't know what that... Actually, because he was born disabled, they probably had to, like, cast him out. Because, again, disabled people at the time were not cared for um, properly. They were basically seen as outcasts. They were seen as, like you said, a burden to the community. And they were kind of put on the outskirts of the community. They were not treated with respect or treated with love. They were treated the opposite of that. But now, in the modern world, we realize that people with disabilities can still live very full and meaningful lives. But let's be honest. People with disabilities are still not fully um, treated with the respect and love that we treat other people. Oh, they can definitely suffer marginalization from society at large, definitely. Yeah, so this we still have some of this in our society uh, that we live in currently, uh, but it was much worse then, and it was legal then. Like what they were doing was not against the law. It was there was no protection for people with disabilities. There was no you know programs that were helping them out. They had to fend for themselves. So he had to beg um, for any scrap of of resources, food, water, whatever it was, to just to survive. Uh, but his neighbors see him. And like you said, they're, they're very curious as to, you know, is this the same man that we would see begging? And if it is, how is he able to see? How did he get healed? So their, their, their imagination is really starting to, to take off. It's really starting to go and, 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 and they're really starting to wonder what happened. And I believe they ask him directly, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. Um, in verse 10, they say, how then were your eyes opened, they asked, and then verse 11 is his response. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to, I think it's Salome, and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, and I love this. He's not, he's basically laying out the facts. I was blind, and this man named Jesus came, covered my face in mud, Asked me to wash it away, and I did, and I was able to see. He's not claiming to understand what happened. He's simply saying, hey, I, I couldn't see, now I can see. That's all I know. So this, this encounter, again, brings Jesus to the attention of the Pharisees. And that's the next portion of chapter 9 because the Pharisees begin to investigate this healing. Well, and, and they investigate it, one, because again, it happens on the Sabbath, which again is the day of rest where you're not supposed to do any work. But Jesus has the mindset, and I love his mindset, where he says, look, if God gives me work to do, I'm going to do it. No matter what day it is, no matter what time it is, or what your regulations say, when there's people who need help, I'm going to help them. Well, and I think, again, for us as a modern audience, we're very used to, okay, on the weekend, we're going to get our errands done, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. But during this time, for their Sabbath, for their day of rest, it was something that they took incredibly seriously. And you still see this today in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities. They've structured their community in such a way that when their Sabbath occurs, 
they go to great lengths to avoid anything that would look like it's work related yeah because they want to honor the lord in that way and again there's no disrespect for that like if if that's if I know, I know I've had a lot of friends who do that as well. They pick a day of the week and they're like, this is my Sabbath day. It's my day to rest. Great. Have that day of rest. But I think Jesus just saw this as an opportunity of like, look, I can't pass this up because it's giving to me by God to do. Well, so much of Jesus's ministry is he sees a need in the community and he meets that need. Absolutely. Now, again, the Pharisees are, are investigating this healing. And they, at one point in time, speak to the man's parents. Mm-hmm. And I, this, is so, this is so clever because they're speaking to the parents and, and, and basically saying, like, is this your son? And they go, yes, we know it's our son. We don't know how he was able to see because we know he was blind at birth. Right? So they're basically laying out what they know. They're laying out their evidence. We know he was blind at birth. He was blind up until today. We don't know anything else. And I love what they do because they kind of flip it on their head and they go, look, why are you asking us? He's an adult. Ask him. Well, and the reason that they did that is because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue. Yeah, because the Pharisees were basically, they were at the point where anyone who agreed with Jesus or who followed Jesus, um, they weren't allowed in the synagogue. They would have been ostracized, kicked out. And they, they, and you have to realize, to be a, in the synagogue, like that's, that's a big social community. So it would have been a big deal to be kicked out of that. Well, and in verse 22, it says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders mm-hmm. who already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Well, and, and they do. They go up to him. They ask him and they're like, hey, who is this man? What? You know, tell us what happened. And again, his response is so perfect simply because he just lays the facts out. He goes, because they ask, they go, they kind of start this debate of like, well, he's not um, a holy man because he's working on the Sabbath. So he must be a sinner. And the man who was healed basically replies and says, look, I don't know if he's a sinner, a saint, I don't know much about him, but I do know I couldn't see. Now I can see. That's all I know. And just by doing that, he's really just standing his ground and saying, look, I don't know much. I can't give you a background or a biography of this guy. I just know that he healed me. And we see the fact that this man, under this line of questioning, he's basically like, I've told you already what I know, and you're not listening to me. So this is what really irritates the Pharisees, and they actually end up throwing the man out. 
Well, and they do. They they definitely kick him out, and they're definitely like they're definitely irritated and frustrated because they're trying to get to the bottom of this. Not factually, they're just trying to blame Jesus again, so they could put him to death, so they could punish him for this this sin that he's supposedly committing. So then Jesus takes this opportunity to talk not about physical blindness, but a spiritual blindness instead. Yeah. He actually goes and finds the man who he healed, and they have a conversation after this. Jesus asks him in verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And so the man's response is, Who is he? Tell me so that I can believe in him. And then Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one who's speaking to you. So the man has this revelation and he believes in Jesus and he worships him. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're wondering why Jesus is referring to himself as the son of man and how that title connects with him being God in the flesh, um, there's a video by, um, oh, who was it? What's the, what's the YouTube channel that we were watching? Um, the one the that makes the Bible project. Thank you. I don't, it totally left my mind. So yeah, the Bible project actually has a video where they describe this in, in really good detail. So go to the Bible project at, uh, on YouTube and they have a video on there. Um, I don't know why I couldn't remember the name because I'm always looking at their videos, but um, But yeah, so he's basically like look You know about the Son of Man I Am the Son of Man. He's, he's starting to show himself as God and <clears throat> He's starting to reveal that about himself One because he wants to bring hope to this world that doesn't have any hope they think they have hope, but they're really following like blind leads, basically. So for next week, we're going to be looking at the Good Shepherd and his sheep in John chapter 10. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for this chapter, again, the majority of the chapter is Jesus and his encounter with this blind man. Yeah. And for us as a modern audience, I think it is an important story because it highlights the fact that people can be presented with the truth and still, as the saying goes, turn a blind eye toward it. And I think we see that all the time, right? I think we see that in our communities, in our society all the time, where we have, especially if they're a leader, right? Especially if they're like a political leader or um, a, a, a world leader, something with a lot of authority and power, they are, it seems like they're more inept to like turn a blind eye to what's truly happening. But what I also love about this chapter is the simple fact that I love the blind man's uh, response to like, hey, I don't know who Jesus is at this point in my life, but I do know he came to me and he healed me. And because of that, my life is different. And I think we could have that same testimony, right? Where we're like, I'm still learning who Jesus is. I'm still learning like what he's, what he's done or his, his impact on history. 
But what I can tell you is I was one way before I encountered Jesus. I'm a different way after my encounter with Jesus. And that's all I can share with you. Um, and I think that's so important because I think we need that kind of testimony from people who don't, who don't have all the answers. I think as Christians, we believe we have to have all the answers before we could speak about our experience, and that's just not the case. Well, and again, to go back to this man's life before, he was literally relying on the charity of other people, um, and he had no economic way to support himself. He didn't really have the sense of belonging or community, mm -hmm. but now as a follower of Jesus, then he has people who also believe in Jesus who would have been there for him. Again, this like we just get this brief glimpse into his life, but I would like to imagine that further on down the line, like he's able to have a community that he's a part of, that he's able to support himself. Like it was literally a life-changing moment for him. And that is what happens when we accept Jesus into our hearts and lives. It changes us from the inside out because we have the church as our community and we also have the Holy Spirit that's with us and just that knowledge that because we've encountered Jesus in such a personal way, mm -hmm. it's like there's a, a before and after moment. Yeah, and, and, and the truth is when you in, really encounter Jesus, you are going to be like faced with this change. Um, but the fact is you're not going to have all the answers. And you're still going to have days that are rough or, or difficult to deal with. Um, but the fact is you have Jesus now to rely on. Uh, and, and you have that acknowledgement of Jesus. Well, and it's also important to know that when you become a Christian you have the support of your local church community. And that's one thing that we here at Beautiful Feet Entertainment advocate very strongly for is to find a connection with a group of believers that is going to guide you in mm -hmm. the word and just surround you, you know, with that community aspect. Obviously, because of the pandemic, Meeting in person may not be something that you're comfortable with, but there are so many different online resources that are available, whether it's Bible studies or worship services. Like, we urge you to um, to look to expand your faith in those ways. Absolutely. I think that's that's very important. And I know right now with everything going on, like she said, it's very difficult sometimes to get out and, and attend a church. Uh, but even attending digitally... And, and chatting with people who go to the same church or uh, have heard the same, same messages, it's going to help build that community. And, and that's so important, especially at a time like this where things are so kind of up in the air. We don't know what's going on. Um, well, and we've noticed, at least here from our vantage point, it seems the longer the pandemic draws on, the more people are reporting feelings of depression, of anxiety, of hopelessness. And we've honestly also felt those moments, but our faith is really what is carrying us through this time. Absolutely. And even, and we will attest like 
we've even had times in our faith where it's gotten weak, where it's, it's gotten difficult. <laughs> yes. Um, but God is still with us. Like even when our, our faith is weak, God doesn't leave our side. Um, God doesn't vanish. Like, and that's again, that's what I love about all these stories with Jesus is like, He's with these people in some of the hardest times of their lives. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, we definitely encourage you to get involved in in a group of believers, even if you're just trying to figure it out. Even if you feel like I'm not quite there yet, connect with a few people, talk to them, and get to know them. Um, and and you'll see kind of what that community looks like. So I feel like we've pretty much wrapped up our chapter. Is there anything else that we want to highlight? Um, March is coming up, and let's take a look at what we're going to be. So so first, I have to pinpoint. You asked the question, and then immediately answered your I question. I know. I'm sorry. Okay, so do you have anything you want to highlight, and then I'll tell you what's coming up next month? Um, no. I mean, like... Like I said, we're just trying to put out the best content that we can. Um, so feel free to share it. Feel free to put it out there. Uh, and give us feedback. Give us feedback on what you think, what you want to hear from us. And really uh, you know, give us that opportunity to, you know, to give you what you guys want as well. Uh, but what do we have coming up next month, next in March? So for March, it is... International Women's Day on March 8th, because March is Women's History Month, we're going to be looking at women in biblical history. We're going to be looking at Palm Sunday and Easter. And we're also going to be interviewing a special guest on our podcast, Coupon Queenpin, on the episode for the 15th. So stay tuned for that. And then we'll also be covering John chapters 9 through 13. Yeah, so that just kind of gives you an idea of where we're going in this in this uh, next month, um, and I think after March is when um, we kind of put away some of the biblical history for a minute, and we're gonna kind of um, bring in some more movie reviews and things like that, just to kind of break up some of the the the, the I don't want to say monotony because I've really been enjoying these episodes, but break up some of that the pattern that we've been building yeah we're going to be having some more special guests in april we're going to be playing some games here on the podcast doing a whole lot of movie reviews for april and may um i don't want to give too much away so we will put a pin in that for right now so anyway yeah feel free to share this podcast uh leave your comments leave your reviews um and leave your suggestions if you have like biblical books you want us to go through we would be happy to do that or movies you want us to review anything of that nature uh we'd be happy to do that um and again just keep sharing the podcast uh, i love the fact that you know uh we get to do this podcast once a week and i know there are people listening and i know there are people who are hearing it and so that's that's really fun for me to check out and look into um but let's go ahead and wrap this up so, yeah, any last comments before we go ahead and pray? No, I feel like good things are coming to us this spring at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Absolutely. So, so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, close out from there. Father God, we thank you for every single person who hears this podcast. 
for every single person who uh, shares this podcast. And we just pray that you would just continue to bless their lives, that you would continue to guide them, to be with them, uh, to let them know that no matter the darkest time in their life, you are with them and you are their strength and their encouragement. We pray, God, that you would just put on the heart, you know, the your love and your grace and you would just keep them focused on you in this time. I pray that for us as well. I know things have been got, have gotten difficult um, over 2020, but we're now in a new year and we're moving forward. So we just ask that you would be our guide, that you would be our redeeming uh, quality and just really be our strength through this time. We also just pray that you would just continue to grow this podcast um, and let it get to, to, to as many people as need to hear it. We just thank you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for this week. Uh, like I said, for, uh, go to BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com or follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Leave your comments, leave your reviews. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.